Welcome to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at dtcpod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG organic creative. Use the code DTCPOD10 for 10% off your next content purchase. What's up, DTC Pod? Today, we're joined by Zawar Khan, who's the founder of Rel Brand. So Zawar, I'll let you kick, kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in the CPG space, uh, how you work with creators, and some of the things that you're up to with Rel Brands? Totally. Blaine Ramon, thanks for having me today. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm a CPG guy like through and through. And for those who don't know, consumer packaged goods. Um, I started off my career as one of the youngest brand managers at Procter & Gamble, where I was on the Olay women's skincare brand. And I absolutely fell in love with building and developing new product innovation. So like, what's something that's really just a pain point or a tension for my consumer? And how can we build new products to go solve those issues? Uh, but over at PNG, we have such a great R&D team that's whipping up Tide Pods and Swiffer and Febreze and all these other great products that we all know and love that uh, as a brand manager, I didn't get much ownership over our brand and our product innovation pipeline and solving those consumers' tensions. So I ended up at PepsiCo, uh, where uh, I was in the uh, Frito-Lay division. So think like 60% of what you see when you go in the salty snacks aisle of your grocery store. And there I was co-leading innovation for our Doritos and Cheetos brands. So the challenge there was really simple. Zawar, like what are the new flavors and the new forms, and the new packagings that are going to reignite some excitement for these brands, both with our consumers and our retailers? Had a slow 2010s decades, but how can we just get these brands back to where they need to be, relevant for our Gen Z consumer, and firing on all cylinders. So while I was there, I launched over 25 new products, some of which are launching still today, this this month, Cheetos pretzels, find them at your local grocery store, um, and did four Super Bowl ads with great talents like Will Nas X and Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, which tied really well into the second half of my career. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was just absolutely having a blast there. And while I was there, I had a few friends who were saying, hey, Zawar, like, you know how to build and operate these CPG products. Like, can you maybe help us out? And I was like, man, like, what do you guys, why do you guys want to launch a CPG product? I don't even know what CPG is. And they started, you know, I started, they started explaining to me like, hey, we are doing all these brand deals. And so we know these brands are making money through our audiences. And, and what if we just owned our audiences directly and sold directly to them? And it was an exciting thesis. This was a couple of years ago. And so I started doing a little bit of consulting and advising on the side which led to, you know, kind of a two-year career of consulting with creators, mostly with YouTubers between two and 20 million. I would say that there is, uh, you know, there is kind of a, um, there's kind of three steps to launching a brand, kind of the ideation, the build process, and the operate. And where I was able to drive the most value was with the ideation and, and the build process. So, um, you know, what, what are the, the design thinking exercises we're going to do to find out what the right brand is for you? as well as like, who are the right suppliers, who are the right partners to go bring this whole project to life. Uh, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. Uh, so now I'm just kind of the the creator brand guy. Uh, when when creator says, listen, I want to launch a brand, I don't know where to start. Um, you know, I'm, I'm usually there to either help or guide them in the right direction. 
So Zohar, two questions. One, um, w the first question is about the difference between the scale that you guys were at, at like PNG or Pepsi, right? And working with brands, because when you're starting a br brand from scratch, even if you do have an audience, it's a whole different can of worms, right? So how did you um, catch yourself up to speed there and how'd you become proficient there? And the second question was, what's your, what was your background before you started as a brand manager? with PNG, you know, is this something that you always excited you? How did you like even end up in, in that world to begin with? What was, sorry, what was the first question? The first question was about like the difference between launching a brand when you have the scale and the distribution partners like a PNG. Yeah. So you're like starting up from scratch, um, by yourself with creators. And the second one was, and maybe you could flip them, but, um, it, more about just how you got even into, you know, is this something you studied in school or, you know, maybe your internships in college, where'd you go to college? Like personal background, I guess. Yeah. Great. Uh, okay. So let me start with the, let me start with the second one. So uh, this is really going to be left field. Uh, I studied mechanical engineering uh, and it was your stereotypical, like over-involved kid in school, like uh, did all the internships, did all the student orgs, did uh, homecoming court, all that stuff. And um, I, I found out through my first internship, I got my dream internship. I was at Honda doing research and development. So I was working on their next generation lines of Hondas and Acuras that weren't going to be released for three or four years. And I got the coolest job, which was we were doing crash and safety testing. So all those ads you see on TV where they put the dummies in, they got the little stickers on there, they crash them into the walls. I was I was that guy, right? I was hitting the button. I was putting the million dollar dummies in the cars and analyzing the high speed videos. Uh, I thought it was my dream job to make cars. But through that hands-on experience, I learned, whoa, 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 this is way too technical for me. Like, I am a people's person. I I love diving into psychology and why people want to buy things and what their problems are and how I can solve them. I was way too far removed from the business and, and the uh, consumer in that role. So um, I ended up at, I wanted to switch kind of something more into business. So I ended up at Procter & Gamble, actually, for an internship. But this was in a supply chain innovation role. While I was still kind of not the right fit for me, but you know, just being kind of a, a personable individual was networking with anyone and everyone I could, uh, people who were all the moders of my university. I started reaching out to them and I stumbled across someone who had the brand manager title on the on the uh, Bounty brand, Bounty and uh, and uh, Charmin. And I was like, hey, like, whoa, this is really cool. Like, this is super exciting. They're kind of the hub of the wheel of this billion dollar brand. They're having like strategic problems. They have analytical problems. They're marketing, but they're also strategy. Like, this is so exciting. And so, you know, I was like, okay, how do I apply? And they were like, you don't. And I was like, why not? And they were like, well, this is a job that's reserved for MBA students, right? Like go do a job for four or five years, get an MBA, drop 200K on that, and then like come back and talk to us. And I was like, come on. And so I just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. Eventually that 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 following uh, semester, they came, you know, for our career fairs. And I obviously knew everyone that was there. And I was like, I saw that they were doing a case competition for our MBA school at my, at my university. And I begged and pleaded. I said, give me a shot. You know me. You've known me over the summer. I was already at a PNG badge. Like, give me a shot. And they're like, all right, like, don't tell anyone, but we'll let you in. Just don't make a big mess. Like, don't, don't, like, act like you're an MBA student, right? And I did it. And I got there. And amongst the seven teams, the team that I was in ended up winning, which got me my, my shot to, like, end up applying. So they ended up eventually telling me that every year they pick about 35 new brand managers to come into their pipeline. And three of them are undergraduate students. So I saw this like light where I was like, I can, I could potentially get in. And then, uh, you know, six or seven. What was the competition? The competition was, uh, it was about, um, puffs, you know, the tissues puffs. So they are, they're kind of second in the market. The, the number one leader is Kleenex, right? You, you refer to facial tissues as Kleenex. They kind of have the brand name. 
Um, so the challenge was like, so our, like, here's a whole bunch of like data and information insights on puffs, like develop like a, a one-year strategy of what you're going to do to reignite excitement for this brand. And so I think my, my strategy ended up leveraging the puff pals, you know, those like little character animated characters, with little red noses. I was like, how do we lean heavier into this like brand asset and like execute on this? And like, how do we like queue up more occasions for puffs? How do we lean into our, like, we've got a, uh, like a, a VIX line of like medicated tissues. How do we like lean into those occasions and build those moments? Uh, so it's kind of balancing the strategic, the analytical and the creative um, skill sets that are required to make a great brand manager. Uh, so that's a little bit about my background. That's kind of how I stumbled into this. So was the kid who didn't have any, no marketing classes, let alone an MBA, but, but still ended up doing it. Um, had the tenacity, that's for sure. And then I would say that building and scaling products that you launch on a larger scale on these billion dollar brands, Olay, Doritos, and Cheetos come with benefits and challenges but so does building with creators, right? I wouldn't say that one is necessarily easier than the other. The nice thing about P&G is, or PepsiCo is that we have existing relationships with these retailers. So with a couple of meetings, you know, a couple of good sales pitches, we're able to get our products guaranteed in, you know, 99% of Target or 99% of CVSs or local grocery stores or what have you, which is beautiful because then we're not relying as much on marketing, right? The product is already there on the shelf. When you need a tissue, there's only you know, 10, 15 products there, we're going to be in your consideration set. That's great, but the retailer ends up taking a pretty significant margin out of that product. Which is like, oh, man, you don't know who your customer is, right? You're removed. You've, your third-party data, right? You're no longer first-party data. On the flip side, you've got a creator, and this creator is, they don't have access to that sort of distribution, physical distribution, but what they do have access to is digital distribution. You know, they've got these audience, uh, this audience of millions that are engaged individuals who are coming to them usually because they have some sort of problem that they need to solve, right? Like I follow this fitness creator because I want to get stronger. I follow this home DIYer because I want to do some home projects, right? I trust you and I, I come to you for advice. And so when you end up launching a product that's relevant to your audience, you have just kind of immediate velocities. Really great example of this would be Linus Tech Tips, a small electronics YouTuber who in August launched a screwdriver. Actually, I have, I have it right here. He launched a screwdriver, right? And um, this thing was $70. And he said, when you buy it, I can't even ship it to you for four months. He sold $5 million worth of that screwdriver in the course of five days. And I think he's at upwards of $9 million now. So it's absolutely bonkers. Um, so that's like that, like that distribution that's really exciting. He also has a very forgiving audience, right? If he messed up on this and he said, actually, I told you you're going to get it in December, but now you're going to get it in February. He has the opportunity to own up for that because he's a human. He's not a corporation, right? So he can tell you, hey, listen, I messed up. These orders are going to be delayed. Like, this is what happened. I'm learning how to be a business, like, entrepreneur. I'll throw in, like, eight extra screwdriver bits for every single order that was delayed. So what actually end up happening is, like, that relation, that parasocial relationship between me as an audience member and a consumer and him actually strengthens through his mistakes versus people aren't as forgiving for, you know, the billion dollar companies, the billion dollar brands, right? If you mess up, like, sorry, buddy, like yeah. that's a, that's an L. And so culture. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so how, how can you gauge about like how trustworthy these creators are? Like, how, you know, it's all you have is the data of like their engagement rates or follower rates. If you just stumbled across a creator, how can you know whether their audience actually 
trust them. I mean, many creators launch products that totally flop. Um, and maybe it was a byproduct of the fact that they just did influencer posts because they had to generate revenue to get off the ground and they promoted every single product that came through their way. They deleted those posts from their feed. So you don't know what is the engagement um, and the trust from their audience. How do you gauge that? If you would have looked at this creator with this screwdriver before he did this, how could you have known that this was going to be like this successful versus yeah. how could you have anticipated this could have been a total flop? Mm -hmm. So there's a few things. Um, let me start off with a framework that I use here when I analyze creators. There are three types of creators, and this is just my current framework. This framework is always evolving. I'll say that there's three types of creators for me. There is an idea-based creator, there is a lifestyle-based creator, and there's an expert-based creator. And each of these have different levels of, let's say, right to win or right to play in launching commerce products. First, you have the idea-based creators, especially DTC and CPG products. First, you have the idea-based creators. So this is someone whose entire content is around uh, you know, sharing an idea with you. So this might be like a comedian on YouTube, right? Like this might be Mr. Beast, right? The idea is last one to take their hands off the play and like wins. So it's not as much focus on like who the individual is that's delivering the idea. I don't care if it's Mr. Beast giving away a plane. I don't care if it's Zawar. All I want to see is someone win a plane and go through this intense scenario, right? Or I don't care if it's Zawar giving this joke or it's Ramon. All I want to hear is a funny joke. So there's a very limited parasocial relationship there. That's kind of this idea-based creator. The second is a lifestyle-based creator. Two great examples, Casey Neistat, lifestyle YouTuber in New York, showing you his life as an a tech entrepreneur, living in the city and balancing his life and his responsibilities and speaking engagements. Or you've got Emma Chamberlain, who is kind of the, the older sister I always wanted for like the 12 to 16-year-old girls of America. There's a real relationship that's found me there. And these viewers, they might even pause videos at certain times and be like, what, what jacket is that that's Casey wearing, right? Or like, oh, wait, what is Emma? What restaurant did Emma just go to? Or maybe I should save that on my Google Maps, right? There's this parasocial relationship that starts to form that just even without them selling to you, you start saying, whoa, I kind of, I like them and I do kind of want to emulate them because there's parts of their personality that I really like. That's that parasocial relationship found developing. And then lastly, you have these expert-based creators, right? So like Linus Tech Tips with the screwdriver is a really good example. Or maybe a beauty YouTuber, or maybe a home DIY expert, right? Or maybe someone who runs triathlons and gives you like triathlon training content. These are folks who, and you touched on this, like I think in your question, you said credibility or um, for a second. And, and so these expert YouTubers or expert creators are the ones who probably have the the highest level of credibility to go launch a product. They're, they're the creators who, when they end up launching something, people won't be coming at them being like, why should you do this? Is your product even going to be any good? Because they've already developed themselves as being credible in that in that particular niche. Lifestyle creators, right? Like it's like, you know, I go launch a coffee, I go launch a food, and it's like, yeah, you eat food, you drink coffee, but what? Why is yours going to be any better than like my like the this other brand or that brand? And lastly, you got the idea based creator where it's like, dude, I was coming to you for to you for jokes. Why are you trying to sell me? you know, a beverage, like that doesn't make any sense. Like that's just really confusing. Um, so that's like the, the first step. The second step I would say, which is definitely much more of the science is really talking with the creator, understanding like, is this really something that excites them? Is it something they're passionate about? Do they even have time in their work schedule right now to afford to be thinking about a CPG brand or a direct to consumer brand? Sometimes it's just like the, their, their, their life is just a blur. They're barely able to get their head above water to, you know, to think about these greater projects, but they see 
big, sexy announcements and launches and exits and all that. Maybe I should be doing that. And that's where oftentimes I have to come in and give them advice to say, listen, like, I know this is the flashy thing right now, but I want to help you as the creator save money and save time. Don't do this, right? Like here are seven other options of where you can drive value to your audience and make money that don't involve you having to do suppliers and samplings and building teams and building brand identities and websites. Like, like sometimes like work smarter, not harder, and you'll drive more value to your audience and make more money. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a balance, right? Um, it's, it's, I wish that I had like a secret sauce to all of this, but, um, it's, it's a side. Yeah. It's, it's I, I love, I love that because it comes from, it, it starts with the creator. It doesn't start whether beverage has the best margin or like whatever other product, um, is trendy at the time. I'm surprised Logan Paul's like prime worked that well, because I couldn't find in KSI, like such a strong alignment with the product i think they are also the one percent and um they also you know maybe logan paul just had like really good understanding of the business side and i think you probably also want to evaluate the creators like strengths and weaknesses some might be really good on the business front others might just want to create content and then you know the others might want to experiment more with the business side so i want to unpack that a little bit more but before we do that how does that compare launching a brand with a creator like that than doing the collabs that you did with Pepsi and big creators? So you did Cooler Ranch with Lil Nas um, and Doritos. And like, how is that evaluation process different when you're working at that scale with already established brand, already established creator um, versus just, you know, start helping yeah. someone launch a brand? You know, it's it's... It's the same, but it's so different at the same time. And I would say, like, for the sake of this conversation, let's talk about how the two are actually quite different. Um, so the problem to solve for us when we were like, for example, Cool Ranch, we were like, listen, like, people aren't buying it as much. Like, let's just increase the seasoning level. And, like, we need to make a big announcement about the fact that we increase seasoning level significantly. So the people start, you know, coming back to the snack they know and love. And so how do we get excitement over this? We're like, let's do a Super Bowl ad. Like what's trendy right now? I believe this was twenty twenty, I think was that was that that year. So TikTok was just starting to get a little bit popular. Like uh, Old Town Road was like you know really blowing up. It's the only thing people were listening to, was on the charts for for forty fifty weeks. And um, so we were thinking like, how do we? Everyone knows what Doritos is. We have ninety nine percent household penetration, ninety nine percent household awareness. So we're not like introducing this concept for the first time. All we're trying to do is remind people that we exist so that the next time they go to the grocery shop over the next week or two, they'll maybe venture down this, the chips aisle. They maybe skipped past for the last few weeks. And so we take like a, a, a topic and an individual and a song that's highly relevant and tie it into a conversation that's super buzzworthy, right? Super Bowl ads and people are talking about that day and they're talking about the next day at work and at school to create that moment of, Doritos has always been something you've been known about. And all of a sudden it's, it's, you know, frontal lobe. It's like top of mind. Everyone's talking about Doritos, 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 Lil Nas X, Lil Nas X. And what that leads to is obviously it leads to a lift in our sales, right? People all of a sudden were talking about Doritos. Now I'm planning my party and I'm like, oh, we should get some Doritos. That'd be nice. Everyone loves Doritos or got to try those new cooler ranch products. So that's what we're doing there is we're leaning just for a second on a celebrity or a talent's relevance in broad, like gen pop culture for just a moment to remind people that we exist. Um, and I would say that is pretty different from what I've described so far around like 
creators launching brands, but there will always be this relationship between like media and media entities and entertainment with commerce. And these two will always find unique and interesting ways to partner together. And that's kind of what we're talking about here in this conversation, right? Is like, how does media come together with commerce and what are all crazy ways that they can find to, to partner and collab? One point that you made that I think is really important was when you said you'll sometimes talk to creators and be like, yo, you really don't have the bandwidth to be launching a brand right now. And like, if you're, if they're not really in it, like they actually shouldn't do it because it's going to be, you know, more effort and harm than it is going to be good. So why don't you talk us through a little, like what the landscape is for creators um, to pursue opportunities, right? Because there's certain creators where it might, rather than having to have their own brand, might make sense to work on, you know, collaborations or, you know, maybe a merch partnership or some of these other things. So why don't you just walk us through the landscape of different ways that creators can uh, make money and when it really, when, you know, you get really excited about like, yeah, 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 you should really launch this as your own brand versus, oh, you should, you know, collab or think about other ways to generate revenue. First and foremost, creators should be thinking about how they can drive the most value to their audience. Like read your comments, right? Read your DMs. Like, why are people even showing up to your content in the first place, right? Like, there's a lot of people who are training people for triathlons on TikTok and YouTube, but why are they coming to you in particular? Like tease out that why, 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 because we always want to start off with a why and a problem without jumping straight to a solution, which is what a lot of the creators do when they reach out to me. They're like, Zora, I want to launch a brand. What should I do? And I'm like, why? Like, <laughs> what's the problem we're solving for here? You know, it's just because you want to have this moment. Like, I think that that's not, that's not a good rationale. So we want to start off with like, why is our audience like showing up to this content in the first place? And then like, what are those unsolved tensions that still exist? Right. So if I was at like Olay, right, maybe I would say something like, Hey, listen, like she wants something really strong to tackle her forehead wrinkles. So like, what are we going to like now? What is the right product to go talk to R and D? Like, how are we going to go make it happen? Or maybe with, I'm a, I'm a triathlon creator and I'm a female and my audience is mostly female. And I realize, wait a minute, like. I've always struggled with finding good women's deodorant and my audience always jokes about the fact that none of the like women's deodorants are actually effective or smell good. Maybe there's something there, right? Like maybe that's something that like bonds us all together and there's an opportunity now for me to sell to my audience. It's like relevant to them. It's an actual problem that they joke to me about. Like, and as me being the expert fitness gal, like why can't I go do that? So starting off with a problem to solve, like always be thinking about like, what's the value that you're actually driving to your audience? Now, this might end up being a direct-to-consumer product, a CPG product. It might not. It might end up being like, hey, listen, like someone is saying, like, I want, I love your content so much. I would take my money. I want you to give me one-on-one -on -one digital coaching, right? So then it might be like, hey, maybe we need to make a course. Maybe we need to make like one-on-one -on -one calls only for like the, the most dedicated and like premium followers. Like that's also a great way to drive value and also make money. So you can end up in a, in a variety of different like kind of, elements or different types of businesses that you can build. And I kind of look at it like kind of like a, a quadrant or a spectrum, right? So you've got kind of, you can go to the media side, build media businesses, or you can build commerce businesses, right? So medias are usually kind of ad supported, digital kind of video content. And then you've got commerce, which is more like your audience is giving you direct dollars. Um, and then kind of to layer on top of that kind of on the Y axis, you've got like physical businesses, so things that are kind of IRL, in-person, things you can touch. And then you've got digital. And so this can include everything from like seminars, speaking, um, 
presets, mobile apps, gaming, marketplaces, meet and greets, tours, merch. You know, there's there's so books and art and paywall content, cameo. Like, there's so many things you can go do here, but it's best not to start think like by saying, okay, which one of these do I want to do? It's best by starting by thinking like, hey, what does my audience need from me? What does my audience want from me? I hope that answers your question. No, that 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 answers it really well. And then I think just to like piggyback off that, maybe taking the other side on the brand side, right? Like, um, you know, what what activations have you seen work really well with creators in terms of, you know, partnerships where maybe it's like a, a longer term partnership than just a, a sponsored post, for example, but it's not quite like, you know, the creator actually having uh, equity in the business or whatever. So like, what are some successful, like, you know, more traditional promotions and collaborations and partnerships that you see? So this is what I'm like, one of my, my big bets for 2023 is that I hope to see more creators and brands finding unique ways to partner more than just kind of a sponsorship or an affiliate link, but saying like, Hey, can we co-create a product together? Can we co-create a brand together? Do a limited edition flavor that you developed? Can we license your name, image, and likeness? Like what are those like kind of middle ground steps? Because a lot of creators jump towards, I want to launch a company. I want a team. I want to pay salaries. And it's like, no, 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 you don't. Like that's, that's, that's no one wants that. Like, don't do that. Um, and so we've seen a couple of examples from some, some top tier creators of like, they've started to explore these partnerships. And I think a really good example is actually the Demilios with their brand Social Tourist. So they have partnered with um, Abercrombie and Fitch Company and they've created a subsidiary. So Abercrombie and Fitch Company owns Hollister and they've created, I think it's a subsidiary company of Hollister, uh, which is called Social Tourist. And this is a really good example of like, you've got a brand that's that was kind of starting to age away, was starting to lose a little bit of relevance with this new generation. And they say, hey, look, let's create a subline called Social Tourist available at all of our Hollister stores at like all the malls in America. And uh, we'll partner with these like generational icons and we'll co-create the product with them. Now, I'm not sure about all the deal details, right? Like around like royalties and equity and blah, 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 blah. But like this, they found a, a relationship that's working and it's turned into a multi-year partnership. And so not only do you see, you know, foot traffic and Hollisters going up, but you also see like, the D'Amelio, like the, the social tourist line is being really successful. So it ends up being a really big win for Abercrombie and also ends up being a big win for the D'Amelios, right? They end up making, they get a nice pretty check off of it and they're putting in minimal work, right? They're not saying, oh gosh, the shipment from, you know, East Asia got delayed and POs and employees, they're showing up for product shoots. They're showing up for product development. They're having a blast. So there is this happy medium and you can see how like the brand wins and so does the creator. And I'd love to see more challenger brands doing similar strategies, right? You may have uh, an influencer marketing campaign that's happening now across 10, 15 influencers, but you see that two or three of them are leading to the greatest conversions, right? Leading to the greatest site traffic or sales or their affiliate links are just absolutely on fire. You might start to say, well, like why stop there? Like what comes next? Maybe what comes next is you do a limited edition flavor, or you do a limited edition product, or you you ask them and say, hey, like, have you thought about like launching a brand like this? Like, maybe we can kind of ghost kitchen this brand for you, right? Like, let us run all the operations or run as like a subsidiary of our company. We've already got customer service. We've already got fulfillment. We've already got the manufacturers. 
like we'll kind of like white label something for you, you know, and like we can go from there. Let's see what happens. So there's a lot of really creative ways. As you start going deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole, you realize like there's there's a lot of unexplored ap- avenues and opportunities. So something I would just say to your audience, you know, of, of founders is like challenge yourself here and say like, what does the next phase of influence and marketing look like for your company and for your brand? Yeah, I think that's a really important point about like where does infrastructure exists that you can like leverage and piggyback on and 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 maybe move faster like i think you know a good example of that might be like mr beast and mr beast burger it wasn't like he was building out a bunch of like restaurants all over the place he needed to be able to bring the audience and he needed everything like in these ghost kitchens to be able to like put out burgers to his specs but it wasn't like he was building out a thousand different restaurants to be able to launch his burgers at the same time um, you know, all over the U.S. And I think you, the same could go for specific product lines. Maybe we'll see more and more br- like brands that are incubate almost like sub product lines or something with creators. So the creator, like you're saying, doesn't have to put together their whole payroll, doesn't have to like take on the responsibilities of all the things. And maybe they don't want to be a founder, but like we've had creator led founders that come on where, you know, part of their creative like mantra and what gets them going is being able to run a business talk about running the business um and like they want to be a founder creator uh so in that sense like we're not i don't think you take away anything from those people because like you said it fits the audience part of their whole deal is building the business building it in public so um i think that's that's a that's a really good call out um are there any other good examples that uh, or no, no, the, the next question I wanted to get into is maybe more if we see all this stuff happening in the, um, in the creator space, right? Like clearly there's more and more audiences. You've got attribution coming from more and more places. What do you, what do you see happening in affiliate? Like, how do you think about the affiliate market? Um, and what might happen in, in the next couple of years? Yeah. When we start talking about affiliates, like we start really leaning into tech and that's just now my expertise, but this is an area that I feel like is just extremely untapped. There's a lot of there's a lot of sales that are happening. Like, like, like for example, I, t- I give you that Chamberlain uh, example where I'm watching Emma Chamberlain and she's got this cute top on. I pause, right? I'm like zooming in. I'm like being like a little like private detective or I'm commenting saying like, hey, where'd you get this top from? Right? Maybe she responds to me. So there's a lot of instances, like small moments like that where creators are actually like driving traffic and, and conversions to these brands but they're not being credited for that. So it's like this whole like mini economy that's not being um, like accounted for. I and I, it's like, it's like, it's like, wait, like, hold on. Like creators should be rewarded for these sorts of like conversions. Like they're doing like actual business. They're helping these folks. But like, how do we actually, you know, how do we capture those moments and how do we record those moments and track them effectively? I don't know what the right answer is, but just the fact that we're still stuck on the Zawar 20 code links, right? Or like the UTM links. It's just so antiquated. And that's not how these like buying moments happen. These buying moments happen in the split of a second or maybe after I've seen a brand after seven times, I'm actually going to go off and buy it. So it's like, man, if I was a, if I was a founder right now and I want a lot of like, you know, there's all these like SaaS creator economy startups coming up and they're solving problems that no one actually has. Like this is a real problem where you can go to a creator and say, listen, like you drove like $3,000 worth of sales to Forever 21 last week, but no one's actually paying you for that. Like I can help you get paid for those sorts of moments. So um, I would love to see just a little bit more development there. And I think 
if we grow that part of the economy, like that part of the influencer marketing campaign, uh, you know, you got like sponsored posts, you got affiliates, and then you got like building brands. If we can grow that middle region, I think there's a lot of creators who would like start saying, actually, I don't need to build a brand. Like I've got a really nice business here just doing influencer marketing and affiliate work. And I think I like being a media company. Why jump into commerce when that's not what I'm good at? So there is that like middle ground that just always like irks me where even sometimes I buy products. I was influenced by a creator and I was like, shoot, like they should have gotten paid for this, but like, yeah, no, go for it, Ramon. I was going to say, I was going to say that in the affiliate space, the challenge is when the brands do the spray and pray method and it's like, all right, well, if you say no to this Zawar 20 code, I have 300 other people that are going to want it. But the challenge without the initial commitment of payment to a creator is that creating content can cost money and it can cost time. And so that's the effort level of the content you're going to get back from that creator. I mean, Mr. Beast is saying he's spending, I don't know how much money is he spending per video. He makes like hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands of dollars or so per piece of content. So um, I, I just think that the, the, the affiliate could be good testing waters for the creators to know what is it that they're driving more like the data side of things um, than, than, you know, a long-term play. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how that attribution could get solved. What do you think, Blaine? Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that jumps out is kind of like what we saw happen with, with Facebook or Meta shutting down like their, their kind of commerce operations. Um, I think one thing that they do really well is they enable the platform layer for affiliate to happen. Maybe that's somewhere that they'll be like pivoting into instead of like managing like it being a true storefront. Maybe they can just lean into being a more of an affiliate layer. I don't know. We'll 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 see if they're able to develop there or someone else pops up. But definitely, I, I agree with you, Zawar. And I I do think we've seen a couple different um, solutions that are like up and coming in the affiliate space, especially on the creator side, where people are you know be able to make, create their own storefronts and um, get attribution that way where it's like they're like custom PDPs based on the creator and all that sort of stuff. So I think there will be exciting like maybe point solutions to it, but I haven't seen anything yet where it's like the, just like the whole infrastructure sort of covered. For sure. Uh, I think it's, it's not going to be brands that are going to be pushing for this, right? It's going to be people who are going to stand up for creators that are going to push for this. And I hope to see something cool soon. So- so you you mentioned you mentioned media like right like you prefer to go into media um than than commerce can you expand on that like what is what is an alternative um what is a media alternative to commerce that there are examples that you've seen work really well um rather than the traditional commerce launcher brand so you're thinking like direct to commerce being more like the direct to consumer the cpg the merch um, yeah, media, there's a, there's a lot of different, like, and there's, there's, there's examples of media just being alone, just, this is a media business. And then there's also examples of like combination of media and commerce. So like media alone would be things like brand deals, right? Like you're taking sponsorships for making your media, right? Like that is you getting paid for creating great content, ad sets and creator funds, as well as like doing sponsored content specifically for different brands and distributors. But like where things get really interesting is like when you end up in like, media that can be commerce right how can you like have people pay for content and that could be like a course that could be things like uh paywall content right that could be like uh patreon so that's where things also get like really interesting where you can say like hey actually 
I am taking a step back and I know what I am best at is I am a great podcaster. I'm a great YouTuber. And my, I know there is a small percentage of my fans, 5%, 2%, half a percent, who love my content so much that they would be willing to give me money to get twice the content. Or they want to get better content. They want to get a little bit more content. So like, how can I maybe sell that feature to them? So then essentially it becomes kind of like a marketing funnel. People find my channel. They love the content. They subscribe. They become a daily or weekly viewer. And that last step of the funnel is I say, hey, head on over to my Patreon. Or head on over to this website built by Fourth Wall. And like, you pay me three bucks a month and I will give you like two hours worth of entertainment. Like, that's a pretty good proposition for a lot of um, audiences as well as for a lot of creators. And that adds up to a lot of money. So that's kind of where like media gets really interesting, um, I think, for creators as well. Yeah. And I think another space that is getting exciting, I know this is something you had um, mentioned to Zawar is like different ways to monetize. Like even we're starting to see creators get into like B2B, right? Like I know um, like Nas, uh, he was like a classmate uh, with me in undergrad, but um, he, he started the YouTube channel Nas Daily. And I think he just like launched his own like community SaaS platform, right? And I know like the traditional things for creators to do like with that sort of audiences go into all these other things. But I was like, is that might be the first like creator-led B2B SaaS tool that uh, I've, I've seen. Yeah, I mean, that's where things get really, really exciting because then you're talking about like higher margins and like, you know, higher costs per, you know, higher revenue per customer you're bringing in. Another really good example of that is a friend of mine, Nick Sharma on Twitter, who's kind of like the, the D2C guy. And he launched Hooks. And the guy is a B2B influence. He's got... I think over a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. He talks about like building direct to consumer companies. And then he launches this product, this, this website called hooks, H O X. And the whole idea is that they are selling you landing pages. They will understand your business, understand your problem to solve, and they'll make you killer landing pages that will increase your conversion rates. And I'm like, bro, like this is a creator, like brand like you are you have an audience they have a pain point you've solved the pain point they trust you you're the expert and you're giving them additional services like this is awesome i love this another one that like just kind of really random when i first first started this two years ago i think it was spring of 2021 um i was working with a creator and we were just we were like really early in the ideation stage and their content was all around like creating special moments of happiness and I was like, man, like, what could we do here? Maybe we can do like a gift giving box, like, um, you know, encourage more gifting occasions, right? Don't just give someone a gift on their birthday, just like a, I'm thinking of you and we'll, we'll curate the box and we'll set it for them. And as I started just like diving deeper into this whole like curated box gifting industry, I realized that a majority of this industry is made up by corporate gifting, right? Like end of the year is coming around. I want to remind my clients I'm still here. I want to remind them how much I love my, their business. So I want to give them a nice gift, right? My budget's pretty big, a few hundred dollars, maybe a few thousand dollars. And I was like, whoa, that'd be really interesting. What if we took this creator's like audience of consumers? And then over time, we built out this B2B platform where, you know, the consumers would see it as they were on the website. If it wasn't relevant to them, they'd just kind of zoom by. But if it was relevant to them and they were like, oh shit, hold on, you can give me a custom branded box for my business? Or you can give me like cool merch or you can give me like awesome stuff and special gifts for my customers. Like, okay, count me in. Like, here's a purchase order for 10 grand, right? Like that's where things get like really interesting, exciting when you can say like, oh, we started with a direct to consumer business, but there was like a B2B opportunity that we stumbled into. 
Uh, this kind of stuff excites me. Can you let us walk into like a meeting of yours and break down the framework of what that looks like? What is the ideation process really like? And where do you take it from ideation to launch? Yeah, sure. So a creator comes to me and says, so I want to launch a brand, right? So the first thing I'm going to ask you and say like, hey, do you like have a brand? Do you have any ideas? Do you have any like kind of concepts? Have you seen anything in your comments? Hopefully you do. So we'll add that to our list, right? That'll be the first thing on our list. After that, I'm going to start doing a deep dive on your content. I'm watching all of your videos. I'm watching Instagram, watching Twitter. I'm looking to see like kind of weird people are showing up. I'm reading all of the comments. Oftentimes the answers are just sitting in the comments. Um, I'm looking to see kind of what were those viral moments that maybe you've had that we can lean into. And I'm looking for problems to solve, right? I'm just, what's a problem, right? Maybe you're a cooking creator and everyone's like, Hey, Zawar, like what's the best chef's knife for beginners? And I go, shoot, there's, there's a problem. Like, right. There's, there's something there. Like, why do we, why don't we, why don't we try to tackle that? So we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of come up with a, the small list of ideas to just kind of begin with, Hey, here are some problems that we can go off and solve. After that, it's really just basic, really basic, like design thinking exercises where we'll like lean into those ideas. We'll iterate on those ideas. We'll come up with more ideas by diverging and then we'll refine those ideas by converging. Um, a lot of the basic principles that are honestly taught at the Stanford D school, as well as IDEO, um, those are kind of the, the, um, the gold standards for me kind of where a lot of the inspiration comes from all of these ideation sessions. Once we start to land on kind of a concept, we start like, or maybe a handful of concepts, like our kind of final set, we start scoring these on a, on a three prong prong system, viability, feasibility, and desirability. So the viability is, okay, great ideas. Or you want to launch, um, I don't know, a beginner chef's life. How viable is it that we can actually make this? Like, where are these manufacturers? Are they in the US? Are they abroad? What's their MOQ? What's the cost going to be? Are we going to have to get custom dye lines made or like um, dyes made? And what, what? how much is going to be the, the cost just to enter, right? Or like, is this going to just be way too big for us to handle? Second one is feasibility, right? Like financially, is this viable? Is this going to just be a profitable item or not? And lastly, it's desirability. Like, how excited is our audience about this? And that's a really easy one to gauge, right? We can just quick Instagram poll, you know, just sending something in the DMs, right? We can just get a quick quant or qualitative analysis of like how our creators, the creators' audience is reacting to this. Then we'll jump into the build phase. And I don't want to bore your audience with this. I'm sure they're all too familiar with like how you build a direct-to-consumer SAPG business. You get the suppliers, you get the samples, you get the brand identity, you you piece it all together, right? And so that's kind of the role that I'm playing for these creators, kind of acting as like a, their own personal operator to piece together this this puzzle. Um, and then that's kind of how we start uh, tripping and stumbling our way to to a launch. Now, Zawar, that that's awesome. And I think those are the the really important questions to ask because it's not about just it's not just about the product. Obviously, the product needs to be good, but it like you said, it needs to solve a problem and needs to resonate with the audience. So like when you're actually thinking about building these brands with creators in mind, it's it's about getting the product right, but also making sure the problem's right, making sure the audience right, making sure the 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 solution is right and also the margins check out and the the logistics and everything else like that. So I think it is really important to be thinking that way because you want to be able when you're putting this much time and effort and like really building your own brand, you want to make sure all of that stuff checks out. You don't want to be like, oh, you know, a couple of things checked out and then audience didn't want it or a couple things checked out, but like there's no way we can actually source or create this product at a margin that 
is profitable. So like, what are we doing here? Right. So, um, you know, that's, I think really important to think about. And, and the last thing before we wrap up here is just like, what other, what other projects are, are you thinking about for the next year in 2023? What's exciting to you? Um, you know, as we look forward to the, to the next year. So given away some of my secrets here is, uh, you know, I, I, I'm always thinking really big picture about my career and the way I look at my career with creators is probably in three phases. The first phase was doing a lot of the advising and consulting, right? So getting a seat at the table and understanding what problems these creators are having, how to work with managers and agents and had a blast doing that, uh, you know, for the last couple of years, but I'm now starting to stumble into phase two of my career, which looks like, Hey, you know, it was really fun to have my hand in like seven different exciting projects with seven different creators all at once. But what it kind of robbed from me was focus. And so the, the theme of 2023 for me is focus. And, uh, you know, I'm stepping away from a lot of these consulting and advisor roles and taking a lot of time to think about, you know, I have a, I have a moderate understanding of creators and creator brands. I have a strong understanding of CPG. Like, how can I start to fit those two puzzle pieces together and identify like real opportunities where like, not only is there a huge white space amongst the, 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 the category and the, this, the, the uh, product, but also there is a hungry niche of content, you know, and an audience that's like, give me the best product records here. I have problems to solve. So the 2023, you know, in this phase two is going to be spent kind of solving those problems and actually launching my own owned brands in partnership with creators. So it's kind of saying, you know, phase one was creator first and then build out the idea. Now phase two is kind of like, let's start with the idea and then figure out who the right creators are to tag along with this. And when is the right time to bring them in? And I would say probably what phase three starts to look like, which is probably a long ways away is, um, you know, what's the second brand and what's the third brand? How do these brands interact with one another? How do they like benefit each other? Are they all maybe in the same category and they're just targeting different audiences. So we have a lot of, um, you know, synergies with our supply chain, or maybe it's that they're in different categories, but they're targeting the same consumer. So our marketing funnel is really optimized, right? You just have to acquire one consumer and then you start introducing them to the other brands. And now you're, you know, your LTV starts going up because they're buying from all your different brands at once and they start kind of cross promoting one another. So that's probably a longer ways away. Um, but my goodness, this last couple of years of advising and consulting with creators has been one of the most exciting of my life. Uh, I've gotten to just see a, a very new and fresh and exciting way to bring, uh, you know, uh, to do these kind of go-to-market strategies for these CPG and North consumer brands. I'm excited to see, to see where this is going to continue. I love that. I think that that last one is going to be really interesting too. I, I wouldn't be surprised if like private equity comes along and tries to acquire a bunch of these creator-led brands within the same vertical and stuff if that's already happening. But um, before we wrap up, I just have one question, um, which is what are your thoughts on like faceless creators and faceless brands i mean you have for example dave portnoy built barstool now you have barstool partnering with commerce so a media company started by a creator partnering with a commerce company and everything that's happening with ai etc um like people are building accounts without their faces involved in it have you started seeing some of that you know trickling into commerce and and is not going to build enough trust um, for audiences of that, you know, background of like cre creator faceless com um, accounts 
be able to to transact with with their audience for sure i mean like oh this is exciting stuff so you, you, you touched on two different examples one is like a media company like barstool diving into commerce and then you also touched on like faceless personalities and is there going to be credibility there as well right i think the the barstool example is a great one it's a great like um example for a lot of your audience members to go understand explore and understand how they went from being a media company to absolutely killing it with their their commerce projects um, except for that that watch project that they the, the only reason I mentioned that is because brands listening you think audiences they think creators but there's a white space too to go partner with existing media companies you know a, a skincare company could do with Vogue um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a big influencer because Barstool has proven that that this model is working for sure like I, I'm pretty sure the founder of Glossier was a blogger right she had a successful blog that I think had the word gloss yeah. in it and then then a product kind of spewed off of it. So why wait for that that founder to stumble upon that idea herself and then go through that arduous journey of saying, oh, I need to make my media company a commerce company. If you already have a commerce brand, go reach out to them. Make those collaborations. Like I said, 2023 is going to be the year of the non-traditional collaborations between brands and creators and brands and, and these smaller media companies. It's all about connecting eyeballs to dollars, right? And so these two will always need the help of one another. So if you're a founder, go think about these non-traditional relationships you can go find with with media companies, whether it's a personal media company and a creator, or even just a smaller like media outlet, like the Barstool from 10 years ago. Um, I think that's really exciting. Faceless, when it comes to faceless AIs, I haven't had a chance to work with them yet, but what I do see happening there nonetheless is that these parasocial relationships are being developed even without having seen a face. So uh, there is definitely a risk to partnering with someone who hasn't uh, presented their face yet, but I will say there's definitely no shortage of people liking that content, enjoying that content and developing a relationship with them. And if there's a relationship, there's an opportunity for commerce. Awesome. Well, Zawar, thanks so much for joining us uh, on this episode. And we can't wait to hear how your brand kind of comes together, some of the projects that you get involved in and can't wait to have you back on the show. Blaine Ramon, thank you so much for having me. Um, if anyone in your audience has any questions for me, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Zawar Khan yeah, underscore, or uh, or the website is uh, hellorel.com. That's where you can find me. I'm always happy to riff with any founders or creators as well. Sweet. Yeah, and we'll drop those in, in the show notes as well. So thanks a lot and, and have a good one, man. Thank you, Zawar. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show, and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.